Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. For the Hot Topics series, we think it's a shame that there are certain things or certain topics like in church that's considered to be like almost taboo, like we just don't talk about it. Um, Yeah, I can't even remember what it was. It was probably sex. I'm trying to get used to saying that word in church in front of you guys, by the way, because two weeks till that lesson comes up. But I, I think it was, I, I think I remember I, was, I asked my dad some kind of question when I was young, and I don't remember what the question was. I just remember his reaction to it, so I'm assuming it was about sex. Um, and my, I just remember my dad saying, don't ask me that question again. <laughs> so and I, 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 was the first, I was the first kid, you know, so I'm sure my dad was just not expecting, you know, that question and it's not, nothing against my dad. But um, yeah, sometimes there are topics that we hear a lot about in culture. We see a lot on Netflix and we, we just, we see it everywhere. But like when we ask for like real answers in church, maybe we, it's not said exactly like this, but we get this feeling like, oh, we don't talk about that. So it's kind of turned into maybe almost an annual thing is that once a year, usually, usually in the boring kind of winter months, we try to spice it up a little bit. Um, and we talk about things that maybe you don't usually hear at church or you think, why are they talking about that at church? So last week, we kind of kicked off the series by talking about bad Christians. And by bad Christians, we meant people who were hypocrites and also people who were incredibly like mean, like Christians who are just jerks. And what we learned is that bad Christians are babies who need to grow up, not influencers to be followed. And we also learned that there are times where we have been, we're guilty of being bad Christians. You know, we just got to own it. Um, So tonight we're talking about drinking. Um, Next week we're going to talk about gossip. Um, I don't know if I'm ready for that one. And then we're going to talk about sex. Uh, so I'm, I'm just trying to, I'm giving you the heads up. Yeah, uh, that's, the, that's what's coming up. Um, you, you think it's awkward sitting there hearing it. You know, just imagine being up here and having to talk about the ins and outs. Of, I mean, <laughs> never mind. Uh, so we're going to talk about drinking tonight. I haven't even made it to the lesson. I'm already putting my foot in my mouth. We're talking about drinking tonight. That's, that's what I was trying to get to is we're, we're talking about drinking tonight. And, and this, this is one of those where there are a range of opinions on. Um, and so I'm going to start out by saying this. This is a place where when you come, no matter where you're at in your life, you should never feel like that because of maybe things that you're dealing with or ways that you're living that we, meaning me or April or any of the leaders, would treat you unkindly or not gently or that we would treat you differently because of something that you tell us. And sometimes it's important to remind you of that as we talk about some of these things. Um, we've tried really hard when we approach these kind of topics not to just say, that's wrong, don't do it, end a discussion. We want to have a, we wanna have a, a, a discussion with you. We want to talk to you about these things, and we want to, we want to learn how to develop wise approaches to these things. So, so just don't think that we are going to think less of you if you share something with us that you're dealing with, that you're struggling with, or that you're participating in. But since we're talking about drinking tonight, I want, I want to start by kind of, I, I'm a statistics guy, so we're going to talk about the facts when it comes to teens and drinking. And here's the first one that um, didn't really surprise me. It surprised some people. But um, people between the ages of 12 and 20 drink 11% of all the alcohol consumed in the U.S. So, you know, like a full tenth of the alcohol that's consumed is consumed by people who, you know, legally, you aren't even supposed to be drinking. Um, 
This, this one is, is interesting. More than 90% of the alcohol consumed by teens is in the form of binge drinks. So you know, you know what I mean by binge drinking. I mean, that's, that's not just like, you know, like, like taking a sip of Michelob. That's like, you know, you're, you're hitting it hard. I mean, you're drinking to get drunk and super drunk off your rear end drunk. Um, so, so when we talk about teen drinking, we're not talking about like wine moms. <laughs> you know, we're, 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 that, that's not what we're talking about. We may get to that later in the lesson, but you know, what we're talking about is not necessarily that. What we're talking about is, is most teens who drink, they drink. Um, Yearly, there are approximately 119,000 trips to the emergency room um, among teens for injuries related to alcohol. Um, And more than 70 teens have consumed at least one alcoholic beverage by the time they reach 18, um, which is obviously still under the legal age. I think that's the fourth of those slides, Matt. Um, So I asked the middle schoolers, like, how many of you have been offered a drink before, and I think there were like two people. Um, I'm not going to ask you guys, but I remember that like the first time I was offered a drink, I was in eighth grade. Um, I went to a party of a girl at Grace Christian School, is where I went, and I thought it was a birthday party. It wasn't a birthday party, um, and um, like, like I walked in the door, and she's like, hey, my parents aren't home. Um, my dad said like we can get into his beer and all his fridge and, and stuff, so like like, it was like walking in the door, you're handed a, you're handed a beer. So I was like, this is, yeah, I wasn't expecting this. So I actually did the good Christian thing that time, and I called my dad, and I, I said, I need you to pick me up, and he picked me up. Um, then the next time, I mean, there were multiple times after that, but the time I won't forget is that I was at, um, I went to a friend's house, and he said, and, and I walked in, he said, here, you want, yeah, there was a bunch of our friends out there, and he said, here, you want a Coke? So I was like, well, sh-, I mean, not like, you know, you know the, the drink, Coke. Um, and, uh, and, and, and he handed it to me. I was like, well, sure, you know, he's being friendly. He's, <laughs> so I, I drank the Coke, and it tasted a little weird. And then he's like, here, you want another Coke? And before I realized it, I, like, I was drunk at my friend's house. I didn't even realize what I was doing. Um, so that was weird. And uh, once again, Christian school friends. I'm not down in Christian schools. That was just the re- what I'm trying to establish is this is kind of the reality. It's that no matter how old you are, no matter where you go to school, no matter what your family background is, at some point you're going to have to make like a decision on drinking. If you don't, if you haven't yet in high school, you probably will before you graduate. If you somehow miraculously get through that, having to make a decision, you know, before you graduate college, you're for sure going to have to make a decision. And it doesn't really get any easier or any less prevalent um, when you get older. I, I, I sometimes just laugh thinking about some of you guys with kids in minivans. Like, that's just funny for me to think about. Like, Levi driving a minivan, that would be funny. Like, he'd find, a, he'd find some way to drop a big block engine in it. But, you know, like, so you, you're going to get older and, you know, you're, you're still going to be invited to parties where, you know, there's drinking going on. So you got to decide. This is kind of the point to make a decision um, now before, you know, before it actually, <laughs> you're presented with it. So tonight, I guess the big lesson in a sentence is um, sober living is wise living. Um, living sober is the wisest way to live. And tonight, it's, we're going to look at some we're going to look at a lot of Bible, actually. Um, but what, you, what we're going to see is there, there's some black and white when it comes to the issue of drinking. There's, there's, there's certain things that the Bible prohibits. And then there are certain things that are kind of an issue of wisdom. Um, what is the wise deci- decision? And the Bible 
guides us to that decision too. So we're going to start out, we're going to kind of make a journey. So if you're a Bible flipper, just limber those fingers up, you know. But we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. Well, we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 5, um, and then we're going to kind of work our way to verse 18. So go ahead and turn there if, if, you, if, if you have your Bible. Um, if not, we have the verses on the screen. Um, we're going we're gonna to start here, and then we're going to kind of figure out what, what was the situation here. So Ephesians 5, verse 15, it says this, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God, in the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So Ephesians is a really interesting book. Like, I don't know if you've ever studied the book of Ephesians or you've kind of like read through it, but it starts out super, I don't want to say brainy, but it starts out like kind of super spiritual as far as it, it, it tells you all the cool things that happened or will happen when you put your faith in Jesus. I always say it like this. It takes a moment to be saved. It takes a lifetime to figure out all the things that happened in that moment. And what's so incredible, the first chapter, chapter and a half of Ephesians, it like gives you a grocery list of all the things that happened. Like the moment you put your faith in Christ. I mean, you were adopted in the family of God. You were blessed with every spiritual blessing. Just bada bing, bada boom, bada bing, bada All these incredible things. And it builds this case and it tells you who you are as a follower of Jesus, as a believer of Jesus. And then... In Ephesians 4, starting in, I think it's verse 17, this shift happens from, okay, now that you know who you are in Christ, it's time to live like it. And it hits these, it's super practical. It goes from super spiritual and head in the clouds and realizing all these spiritual realities to, okay, this is how you need to live your day to day. This is how you should deal with this and this and how you should deal with talking to other people and getting along with other people. And this is how you should live in, in marriage and, you know, Children and teens, this is how you should act towards your parents. Parents, this is how you should act towards your teens. It gets super practical. And in this one section, it actually tells us the right approach when it comes to drinking. But I want to show you, I wasn't able to do this in middle school, I want to show you a couple things to show us how important it is. Look at verse 17 of of chapter 4. It says, I say this and testify to the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. I have that word circled, walk as the Gentiles, because it's not having to do with the way that you like physically walk, but the way you live your life. Ver- chapter 5, verse 1, it says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. Verse 15 now, it says, look carefully then how you walk. Anybody ever do like, tra- like, like trail running? No? Okay, just me. Okay, maybe you've done it once before. Um, and what's the one thing you have to look out for when you're trail running? Anybody know? Those stupid roots. Um, yeah, I, I've I've nailed them a few times, and I've bit the uh, I've bit rocks and dirt and you know stuff. So there one time I was running, and I was so focused on missing the roots, I actually ran into a tree branch. You know, so you have to be you, you, all that to say you got to watch where you're walking. And what this says, this is talking spiritually in the way you live your life. Look carefully then how you walk. So we should live on purpose, right? Um, if you're not watching where you're going, you're going to get to yourself into some pretty sticky spiritual situations, right? So we should be careful. And here's how we walk. We walk not as unwise, but wise. Um, the difference between 
unwise or foolishness and wisdom. The book of Proverbs is like a grocery list of here's what, and it even uses the word, here's what stupid people do. Here's what wise people do. Here's how stupid people talk towards others. Here's how wise people talk towards others. You know, back and forth, back and forth. So it, it sets up this, you can, you can live wisely or you can live stupidly or foolishly. And it's, it gives you a couple ways in which you can live wise and a couple ways that you would be foolish. And it says, to be wise, you make the most of your time because the days are evil. That kind of reinforces, okay, we need to live on purpose. Therefore, having understood that, don't, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of God is. So foolish living is living how you want to live. Um, wise living is living how God wants you to live. And then in verse 18, it, it's almost like it... it it's, it's weird the way it's in there. It almost stands out like, why would God put that particular verse in there? Because it doesn't seem to fit. It says, and don't be drunk with wine or don't get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then it goes into how you're supposed to have a worship service, addressing one another in Psalms, hymns, spiritual Psalms. So it kind of stands out and you're like, why would God put this thing about, about, about drinking in the middle of telling us to live for God and how to have a worship service? Well, when you go back into Ephesus, where this was written, the city of Ephesus was like consumed, the culture, with pagan temple worship. I couldn't get into this with the middle schoolers because they're young little ears. But um, the way that they would worship their pagan deities in Ephesus was they would go to these temples. And the first thing you were handed, imagine this, first thing you're handed when you go into this temple was like a strong alcoholic beverage. <laughs> it's like, here, welcome to church. Like, here's a Jack and Coke. Like, 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 but that was what was going on at this pagan temple. And the, the whole way that they would, quote, unquote, worship these false gods was they would get as drunk as they could, and then they would worship their gods. And usually the worship was devoted toward their fertility gods. And the way, this is disgusting, but this is what they were facing. They would get so drunk that they would just in the temple have sex with whoever they wanted to have sex with because through the drinking and through the sex, they would have supposedly have this like incredible connection experience with this false God. It's sound, it is, it's disgusting and sounds weird to us, but that was like the cultural norm in that city. So you have people who used to do that and then they were saved out of that and they became followers of Jesus. So, if the way that you used to worship your false gods was you go to the temple and get super drunk and, you know, do whatever, maybe the way that we worship the one true God, maybe we need to drink a lot and that'll give us this connection to God. So he says, don't do that. Don't get drunk with wine for that is, and then it's this word in the ESV, it says debauchery. In the NIV, it says dissipation. Neither of those words we really use very often today. Like, man, man, he was full of dissipation yesterday. We don't use that word. Um, what, the word what the word means, um, it kind of has to do with a destructive and wasteful living. So if you're, you're drunk with wine, you destructive and wasteful living. Okay, I think we would get that and we would probably concede that. And it says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So why is it so important? Why is it so important that that one thing is in there? I mean, he could, he could pick on anything. He could say, don't gossip. I mean, he, could, he could say, don't use the name of the Lord in vain. He could say, he, he, he could, he could say you know, don't do this, don't do that. Why did he say, don't get drunk with wine? Because it was specific to that culture, and it's specific to our culture today. Um, yeah, uh, we watched the Today Show, and we're getting Addison ready. It's kind of... I don't know, sometimes it's kind of boring, but they, they did this big piece on that there is, the people are drinking heavier now in our society than they've ever been drinking. So it's a cultural thing now, just like it was back then. So why should Christians, 
Why should Christians be wise when it comes to alcohol and become to drinking? So I've got like four, thing, four points, and usually they kind of follow a logical sequence, but these don't. Uh, so, so, but here's, and here's the first one. The first one is drunkenness destroys lives. Um, why does it say not to be drunk? Is because it's the very antithesis of the way that God wants us to live. Um, the Holy Spirit, it says that he's in it even yeah, a, a chapter before in Ephesians 4, it talks about how the Holy Spirit is the one who knits us together and builds us up as the body of Christ. Drinking and alcohol and drunkenness does the exact opposite. I put a picture, there's no, I, to me there's nothing more disgusting than a Band-Aid sitting on a gym floor that you don't know where it came from and it's got blood on it. You know what I mean? Like, like um, yeah, there's nothing more disgusting than that. But um, I wish I had time to tell you the story about my bloody chest, but we're not going to get into that. So I got dared to put Nair on for three times the pre- in college, three times the prescribed amount, and it actually made my chest bleed, and it was really awkward where it bled, it bled here and here. So I would go around with, <laughs> at college with Band-Aids right here and right here, and, but what would happen was, as the day went on, they would leak through, and I'd have two little red dots on my shirt everywhere I'd go. All that to say, <laughs> TMI, right? Okay. Um, all of that to say, It's like putting drinking to fix a problem in your life. It's like putting a Band-Aid over a bullet hole. It's going to bleed through, and it's not going to solve the problem. It's a temporary fix to an eternal problem. And a lot of people, the reason they drink um, is because there are things in their life that they would like to at least forget for a night. Um, there are realities. There, there's family things. There's, there's things that are going on at school. There's, yeah, the, their life is so meaningless and void. They think, if I can just enjoy one night, that'd be great. It's like putting, putting a Band-Aid on a bullet hole. And here's what happens. It, it leads to a cycle of self-destruction because when you get drunk and you do things, it lowers your inhibitions and you do things that you regret later. Then when you sober up, your life is even worse than when you started drinking. So then you want to drink more. It leads to a cycle of self-destruction, and it doesn't just hurt you, it hurts others. One out of every four homes' family problems are alcohol-related. One out of every three marriages that end in divorce, alcohol was a contributing factor. Alcohol is involved in 50% of all child molestation cases. 50% of all rapists were intoxicated when they did their unspeakable act. Why does it say not to be drunk? It's because people's lives were falling apart in this city because of that. Drinking impairs my ability to worship God. The people in Ephesus thought it would connect them to God, but it actually makes it to where they're not controlled by the Holy Spirit. They're controlled by this foreign substance. You say, Matt, well, you're a little pudgy, and did you know gluttony is a sin? So why are you picking on this one? Why don't you go and preach about, you know, not being fat, and why don't you get on the treadmill and lose a couple of pounds? Well, I probably should do that too. Everyone's like, yeah, you should. You should eat better. Um, I probably should do that too, but this is the, th- this is the destruct, what, the alcohol is more destructive than obesity in this. Who would, pastor says, I like the way our pastor says it. He said, who would you rather be riding in the car with, fat Bubba or drunk Bubba? I think I'll take a ride with fat Bubba. Uh, right? Because it, it has this power, it has this power to, to, to destroy our lives. Jesus said this. Jesus doesn't give a Band-Aid for a bullet hole. Jesus is the surgeon. He says, I've come that you may have joy and that your joy may be full. So Jesus removes the cause of our wound, the bullet, which is sin. 
He puts all the pieces of our life that were broken from sin, surgically stitches them back together, and gives us a new life. He gives us an eternal solution to an eternal problem. So then you say, well, Matt, you know, the Bible does say some things about alcohol that make it sound like, like that's just like an okay thing to just drink whatever you want, whenever you want. Wasn't it Jesus that turned water into wine? We'll get to that. But let's look at the instances in the Bible where alcohol is referenced or drinking is referenced. The first one is Proverbs 31, 6. It says this, it says, give strong drink to the ones who are perishing. What we learn there is that alcohol is not necessary today like it was when the Bible was written. It says, give strong drink to the one who's perishing. Why should we give strong drink to the one who's perishing? Because they didn't have they didn't have a Tylenol back then. They didn't have a leave back then. They didn't have all the incredible, wonderful drugs that we have today that were when we get sick, when we, when we feel really painful, when we break an arm or, you know, you know, we hit our head on a tree branch, you know, we can find relief from our pain. Matt will hook you up with the drugs. Uh, pharmacists back there. Um, they, di- they didn't have Tylenol back then. They didn't have a- a- um, um, Advil back then. It was a prescription that they would use, and it says, give strong drink to the one who's perishing, to the one who's deathly ill. It was the morphine of the day. The next thing is it was used to prevent stomach poisoning. In 1 Timothy 5.23, Paul is writing to Timothy, and he says, don't drink just water, but drink a little wine for the sake of your stomach. There's a big problem with water back then, and the problem with water in the first century is very similar to in some third world countries. Like, I've been to some countries where they say, don't drink the water. Don't brush your teeth with the water. Don't keep your mouth open when you're showering, because you don't want to get any of that water in you. And one time, I forgot, I brushed my teeth with the water, and I was, I spent two days in the Dominican Republic in my bed puking my guts out, because the water was not potable. It wasn't, you couldn't drink it and, 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 and survive. So that was the same case. And if you can imagine first century Middle East, how good you think that water was dug out of a sandy well, probably not very sanitary, right? So what Paul was, was, was telling Timothy is you need, you need to, you need to have a little bit of wine so that your stomach doesn't just, because <laughs> Timothy was trying so hard not to be drunk with wine and to be filled with the spirit that he was really hurting himself. So alcohol is, was necessary back then, but you know what you can do now? Mountain Dew is, well, <laughs> questionably safe to drink. <laughs> um, you, know, you can go to Starbucks and get a triple shot mocha, and it's safe to drink, and you'll be bouncing off the walls. Uh, you, 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 a lot of you could go home, unless you're on well water, you can go home, you can put a glass under your tap and fill it up and drink it, and you'll be safe. We have alternatives today that they didn't have back then. So when Jesus turned water into wine, that was all they had to drink, unless you wanted to have a wedding party with everybody puking their guts out. So alcohol isn't necessary today like it was um, when the Bible was written. The other thing that we learn about um, alcohol in the Bible is alcohol is stronger today than when the Bible was written. There's some people that give really bad information. They're like, yeah, the wine in the Bible was just really, it was like Welch's grape juice. No, it wasn't. People could drink too much of it and they could get drunk. So alcohol is stronger today than when the Bible was written, but it's not the same, though. Um, back when the Bible was written, they hadn't come up with the process of distillation, the way that, that alcohol is now, now distilled. It doubled the alcoholic potency of wine, of beer, and it gave way to, like, you know, hard liquor like whiskey. And I'm not going to go through the grocery list because then you're going to ask me why I know so much about liquor, so I'm not going to let you do that. Um, but... Um, 
So it was a lot stronger, and plus, wine in the Bible times was mixed with water. They would mix sometimes, usually four to ten parts water with one part wine. Sometimes they'd even go up to 20 parts water to one part wine. Why would they do that? Well, first they would do it to conserve the supply because they had these little vineyards. If you imagine growing grapes in the Middle East, sand would be pretty hard to do, right? So they had these small vineyards. So there wasn't just this huge supply of wine which was a problem because that was one of the few safe drinks to drink. So they would conserve the supply by yeah, mixing it with water. And what would happen is the impurity, yeah, the, the alcoholic content of the wine would, would cancel out. The, it would actually um, purify the water. The alcohol would purify the water. Um, they would also do it to increase the flavor. That kind of sounds, why would you do it? Why would you, how would mixing water and increase the flavor? Do yourself a favor, go down to Grindstone on 8th Street and have Don make you up an Americano. You know what they do with an Americano? It's this much coffee, and then they steam a bunch of water, and they pour it over, and it increases the flavor of that coffee. Pretty dang good, especially if you go down to Grindstone and get it. They, don't, they pay me to promote their, their coffee. Um, so th- that's not a foreign concept, is it? Um, they would also do it to prevent drunkenness. If that's one of the few things that you can drink and not throw up, I mean, it'd be pretty bad if like one or two glasses of wine and you're feeling a little tipsy. That wouldn't be good. So they would also do it so people wouldn't get drunk when they would drink it. They'd have to drink excesses to drink it. And the third was to prevent sickness, which we talked about. So, so I, you, we're kind of comparing when, when Jesus turned water into wine, when they, they served wine at the Last Supper, we're kind of comparing apples to oranges a little bit. You know, it's, it's not the same thing. I know a lot of that was super technical and it wasn't like necessarily like, you know, God loves you and he has a great plan for your life. But I feel like if I'm going to explain stuff like this or if, if I'm going to tell you that you, Christians should, should avoid being drunk and that, you know, generally speaking, drinking alcohol is patently unwise. I should give you some, you know, s- some reasons. So that was kind of the, the, the hard work <laughs> um, in, in giving you some of those reasons. Um, if you want more information about some of those things, I can give you some sources on it, but um, we're going to keep moving on because this is kind of the punchline, the final thing, and I want to get to my F words. Sober living is wise living. I think there are three reasons that we can, we can say that, that abstaining from alcohol is a wise decision. And here, here are the three. The first is Jesus' example. Um, we don't have any records other than the Last Supper um, of Jesus drinking an alcoholic beverage. We have an interesting record, though, of Jesus refusing an alcoholic beverage. Anybody familiar with that one? When Jesus was being nailed to the cross, they gave him, they offered him strong drink. It says wine mixed with gall, which is pretty much wine mixed with straight up alcohol to drink. And he refused it because he, he, he wanted to be present for the work that he was doing with his father. Uh, the next is out of respect for others. I, I don't have time to turn there, but well, I'm just going to turn there and read it for you. This has to do with um, a, a different issue, but here's the principle. Take care that this right of yours, 1 Corinthians 8, 9, take care that this right of yours does not become a stumbling block to those who are weak. How fair would it be for me to have a drink in front of an alcoholic? So we should abstain out of respect for others. And finally, uh, we should avoid the unnecessary danger to our soul. And this is one I'd like you to turn, and I wish, I wish we had more time to, to spend on this. Um, but Proverbs chapter 23 If there was ever a a passage that I think we should look at, it's Proverbs 23 in verses 29 through 35. I've got it on the screen um, if you you don't have time to turn there. But it it asks some questions, six questions. Who has woe? 
Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine, who do not go to try mixed wine, those who go to try mixed wine. Don't look at the wine when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Now we're starting to beat up on the wine moms a little bit. Hope I don't get in trouble. Um, but look what it says. It, it gives all the consequences of living a drunken life, but then it describes people who they don't seem like they're drinking to get drunk. They seem like they're just kind of like sampling. It says, don't, those who, who, ha, who has all these consequences? Those who tarry long over wine, those who go to try mixed wine. Um, the NIV, I think it, it, it's, it's, it's helpful. It says those who sample mixed drinks of wine. When I think about that, I think of people who are like, hmm, I taste a little hint of, I, I don't know, I'm, I don't know about this stuff, so I don't know what to tell you. But you know, these wine snobs, they're like swirling it around, swirling it around in their mouth, and they're, they're connoisseurs of this product. And, and, and what would be wrong with that, especially if you're not drinking to get drunk? Well, it says, those who tarry long over wine, who go to try mixed drink, and here it doesn't just doesn't say don't drink. It actually says don't look at the wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. They knew exactly where they were, where he was going in the Middle Eastern culture. You ever watch on like movies stuff the snake charmers? Like they play their little kazoo looking thing, and and the snake kind of dances. It's interesting to look back and read the stories of snakes that turned on their charmers. The charmer thought it had the snake moving to its groove. It had it trained. It could make it do exactly what it wanted to do, and it had complete mastery over that snake. And then he was least expecting it. That snake came in, bam, bit him. And a lot of these snake charmers passed away because they thought they had mastery over the snake, but the snake ended up having the final <laughs> having the final mastery. That's what this is saying here. It says, you think you've got it licked. You think you've got your drinking controlled. You think you've got a, you, you, you think you've made a, you, you've made good choices and you've made a good habit. You, you, you don't drink to get drunk. You just do it to kind of blend in at the party. Um, you just do it because you don't want to offend people that offer it to you. And, and you get in this mode of, it's okay to just drink one drink, just drink two drinks. Maybe it is, but here's the problem. When you have a really bad day and you go to that party and you drink your one drink and you still feel empty and you go back to another and another. When you're least expecting it, when you're at the most vulnerable, it turns on you. And when we have all these other options available, when alcohol today is stronger than it's ever been, and when there are literally people surrounding us who are addicted to alcohol, I believe the wisest choice for a Christian is to stay away. I wanted you to hear what I believe the Bible says, what I believe is the wise approach, because I know you've seen some bad examples in your life, probably. Unfortunately, you've probably seen some people in our church who have not made wise decisions on alcohol and have gone way too far with it. What are we supposed to do with that, Matt? Well, I mean, I, honestly, I think some of them should repent and should apologize to some of you for setting a bad example. But I'm not God. I can't tell them what to do. But I can show you what God says about this topic. 
and what I believe the wise approach is. So here's your, here's your homework for tonight. Read Proverbs 23. Ask God to speak to your heart and come up with a conviction on your own. Um, I had F words for you. We ran out of time. So I'm going to have Matt just leave them on the screen. So if you want to write them down, you can um, as we're leaving. Um, but I, I respect your time. I don't, want, I, I don't want to keep you guys. I know you, some of you have parents waiting for you. Um, but you can write down my uh, six F words on drinking if you want to. Or you can take a picture of the screen. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for us and, uh, and we'll get out of here. Um, so, so let's pray. Father, thank you that on a hot topic such as this, your word speaks. Um, we're going to have to make a decision on this. Um, some of us already have. Um, some of us will. But God, thank you. Thank you, thank you that on something like this we can see what you have to say. Um, God, I pray that we will be defined by who we are in you. That we won't be seeking temporary solutions for eternal problems. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.